Well, what an honor to have the chance to speak today as part of the One Prayer series of messages to believers and churches in various parts of the world. What an honor that is and what a great, great, great subject. The thought of speaking about something unstoppable. And I want to speak about an unstoppable life. Father, I thank you for every person that I have the chance to speak to right now. And I thank you, you have a plan for them and you have a purpose for them. And Lord, I speak your promise and your life into every person who can hear my voice. And I pray, Lord, that they truly may live a life that is unstoppable. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus said in John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished. And of course, he said that when he was on a cross. And when Jesus said, it is finished for those around, it would have seemed like such an end. And can you imagine the regret? Can you imagine the guilt? Can you imagine the sense of disillusionment that people might have felt when Jesus said, it is finished? But we're blessed enough, of course, as New Testament believers to know that it was over, but Jesus wasn't finished. And you know, in life, sometimes things come to an end. But just because something is over, it's not a reason to stop. There's a huge difference between the end of an era and the completion of a destiny. I was in Dubai in the Middle East a few years ago in the airport. And I'll never forget it because I was on an escalator, a moving walkway, and looking ahead, there were hundreds of people literally on this long, long escalator. And right up front, I could see a commotion happening because there was a little lady on the escalator who, getting to the end of it, was beginning to panic like she didn't quite know what to do. And she got to the end and took a few tiny little steps and then just took one step off the end and stopped. Well, the result was horrific because there were dozens of people coming behind who simply couldn't stop. The footpath was moving, and so there were bags going everywhere and bodies going everywhere, and it was absolute chaos. You see, she had got to the end, but she wasn't supposed to stop. And many, many times in life, we can come to the end of an era, the end of a season. Perhaps it could be something as sad as the end of a relationship or a marriage. And it's horrific. Or maybe it's the end of a business. Maybe it's the end of just a time in your life that's been a special time. Perhaps you started out with a dream and you were so excited about it. And then you're facing the end of that dream. You know, the scripture says, Revelation 22 verse 13, that Jesus is the beginning and he is the end. He doesn't just put himself into the beginning and put himself into the end. He is the beginning and he is the end. And with that in mind, don't you think sometimes that we can see the Lord in the beginning of things? You know, something starts, it's usually exciting. God births something in your spirit. It's usually exciting. But it's much more difficult to see the Lord in the end of a season or the end of an era. And oftentimes, of course, at the end, you can't see what's ahead. And I think the devil would try to stop us from living our lives 
in an unstoppable way. But have us come to the end of a season or the end of a time, end of an opportunity, end of a dream in our lives and feel like we just want to stop. Well, an unstoppable life sees the Lord in the beginning of something, but also sees Him in the end of something. If I think about the devil and I think about the analogy that Jesus Himself used in Matthew 13, verse 37, it tells the story of the parable of the, of, of the seed and the tares. And it describes Jesus, the Son of Man, as the one who sows good seed. And it describes you and I, the sons of the kingdom, as the seed itself. And then it talks about the world as being the field. So you and I, of course, uh, see that Jesus Christ has given the opportunity to live on this earth to make a difference. And the sons of the wicked ones were described as tares or poisonous seeds, counterfeits. And it tells us that the enemy sows the tares. But listen to this. It says the harvest is the end of the age. So the end game is what the enemy is concerned about. And don't you think that not only is that true in the big things of eternity, but even in seasons of life, the enemy would love to park himself on the end of something and do so in a way that robs you from moving on into whatever God has ahead for you. But if I could say it one more time, the end of an era is not the completion of your destiny. Just because something's over, it's not time to stop. Can I encourage you to think about your own life and your own circumstance? And think about perhaps something that has come to an end. Maybe you don't have to think very difficult or very hard rather because you know that something you've just held on to so long and with such faith has come to an end. You wonder where God's gone in all of this. I think of a young guy in our church who he's on our team, he's on our staff and he's got such potential and such a future. And his family also is in our church. Just a few months ago, his father came to me after a leadership night on a Thursday night and was teasing me about our football, rugby, real man's football. <laughs> and um, it was just a little tiny conversation. And the next day, that man, 53 years of age, went for a surf came out of the surf, grabbed his chest, fell to the ground and died. You know, I think about his wife, of course, and his two teenage kids who are just a great part of our church. And I think about that young guy who saw that unexpected end, never expected his healthy father to drop dead so that he would never ever be at his son's wedding in the days to come. And I think about the potential for the devil to park himself on that ending with disillusionment or regret or with some other emotion or feeling, just disappointment. And so many people, they allow things to stop because of a disappointment or an ending. And God wants you to live an unstoppable life. And an unstoppable life doesn't just look for the Lord in the beginning, but He looks for the Lord in the end. They recognize that just because something's over, it's not time to stop. They have the sense that God is God. He is Lord. He's in charge of my life. And as long as there's life, there's hope. 
and they have a sense of determination that they're going to stand up and be all that God's called them to be and nothing is going to stop them in Jesus' name. You know, regret is one of the biggest seeds that the enemy uses. And it's described in the dictionary as pain of mind over something that may have happened. Something that perhaps you wished had happened. Pain of mind, torture. It's just one of those emotions that can get on the end of something. Hebrews uh, 15, Hebrews 3, verse 14 says this, and I think it's an awesome scripture. It says, we are partakers of Christ if, if, the scripture says, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast all the way to the end. See, it's so easy to start out in life, in a new season, with a dream, with a pioneer spirit and to be so confident about what's ahead of you. But the Bible says that we're to hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast all the way to the end. And that's where, sadly, the enemy can park himself into something, have you living, so that rather than hold that confidence, you allow your confidence to be dented. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, He who begun a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. So don't allow the end of an era to mark the completion of your destiny in your own mind or your own spirit because it's not over till it's over. It's not over till the barren woman sings. And that's what the scripture says she's going to do. Oh, sing, oh, barren woman. Are you with me, friends? It is not over until the barren woman sings. <laughs> what a great, great thought that is. So, three things I would encourage you to do when you face the end of anything. Remembering that Jesus is the beginning and he is the end. And the first is always believe the best for the future. The best is yet to come. Believe the best for the future. Do you know Jeremiah 29? It's talking about God's people who were in captivity. They find themselves in Babylon. All their dreams were in Jerusalem. They find themselves in Babylon. And when they find themselves there, it seems like all of those dreams have come to an end. Jeremiah chapter 29, listen to it. Verse 11 is a verse that so many people know so well. It says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, and their thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope. So it's speaking about future. It's speaking about hope. It's talking about the way God thinks about us. It's such an inspiring and encouraging verse. But when I look at it in the context of what was going on, you realize that they were facing anything but a sense of future and hope. When in Babylon, Babylon's future was destruction. They seemed to have no way 
I've ever seen the fulfillment of their dreams in Jerusalem. And in that environment, the prophet Jeremiah sends a letter. And listen to what he says. It's the word of the Lord. Verse 4, Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, listen to it, build houses and dwell in them. Well, to me, the idea of building a house is not just thinking now and narrow, it's thinking about the future. So even though it was the end, it seemed to their dream, the word of the Lord was, keep living, build houses, goes on, plant gardens and eat their fruit. You don't plant a garden just thinking of now. The harvest is in the future. And it says, plant gardens and eat their fruit. So think future, think future. Don't stop. It goes on, says, take wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. So build houses, plant gardens, get married, have children, believe for grandchildren. Think future, think future, think future, think future, because I know the thoughts that I think towards you, and they're thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a God-given future and to give you a God-given hope. Can you say amen? Praise God. So, one prayer, churches. What an incredible, blessed concept. The idea of us all gathering around one prayer is. If I could remind you one more time that my prayer is that you can live an unstoppable life. And an unstoppable life believes the best for the future. No matter what we see with our eyes, he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Second, talk to the future. One of the great things about being alive in 2010 is you can speak out loud, driving your car on your own. There was a day when people thought you were crazy if you were doing that, but now you could be on the phone. But listen, just talk to your future. The psalmist, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. He's speaking to his God-given future. I love Psalm 45. Listen to Psalm 45, verse 1, where the psalmist says, My heart overflows with a good theme, which, of course, in itself to me is a great thought, that the story of our life is being set by the theme of our heart, not by a one-off tragedy, not by a disappointment, not by the end of a season. No, it's our heart's theme that determines the story of our lives. My heart overflows with a good theme. And he goes on and says, I write my composition to the king. And listen to it. In this wedding psalm, this wedding song, it says, my tongue is the is the pen of a ready writer. And so is yours. And so is mine. Our tongue 
is the pen of a ready writer. Rather than speak defeat and negativity that come out of the disappointment of a sadness or an end, let's talk to the future. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Just uh, well, last year, I came to the end of a season in ministry. I mean, God's by His grace blessed us and I've got lots to do and lots to look after. And At Hillsong Church, obviously, we have a great church at home with uh, four campuses and another 14 what we call extension services. And then around the world, we've got other campuses. And it's not as though I don't have lots to do. But I also was overseeing the movement, the, I guess, denomination that we're a part of in Australia, which is a, a relatively uh, big movement. It's got 11, 1,200 churches. And I just really felt that season of my life was coming to an end, which, looking back now, it, it was obvious. So I finished my time. And they said goodbye, honoured me, and it was nice. And it was almost like you could see, though, it was almost like you could physically see the heads of people just go from looking to me as leader book, to looking at the guy who has taken on that role. And you know, I went to bed that night just for a moment and thought to myself, what have I done? And it was the end of an era. But as soon as I began to talk to the future, I woke up and I just started to think about the future and believe the best for the future and talk to the future till I built my own spirit because it was the end of, uh, of an era. But it's anything but the completion of my destiny. The best is yet to come. I don't want to live my life as long as I've got breath where I'm looking back at a better day, at yesteryear, at the good old days. I don't want to build a church that when we look back at those good old days when, remember when God was using the Hillsong music and it was going around? I don't want to be looking back at anything. I am committed to the future. And I thank God with a commitment to the future that you can step up, not living out of the disappointment of anything in your life that has come to a sad end or an abrupt end. Maybe it was a bankruptcy. Maybe it was the end of a relationship or a partnership. Perhaps it's some other thing. All I know is that if we're looking ahead, we've got plenty of expectation for what's right in front of us and we are called to live unstoppable lives in Jesus' name. And number three, number three, you have to commit to the future. You have to commit to it. And as long as we're trying to hold on to something which has come to an end, we're not committing to the future. When our children were small, I remember one time we had the smell in the house, which wasn't that unusual. I've got two, two boys and a little girl, and with the boys in particular, you know, odd smells in the house weren't unusual. But this particular smell was just horrific. I mean, horrific. And it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. Until eventually my wife sent me on a mission to work out where the smell was coming from. We couldn't work out where it was coming from. And so I began to sniff my way around the house and it sort of led me toward the laundry and I went into the laundry and 
in there, it was just so pungent. And it pretty well led me straight to the washing machine. And so I got to the washing machine and opened the lid and expected to find something awful in there, but felt around and there's nothing that I could feel in the washing machine. So I walked away a bit, but it was no doubt about it. That's where it was coming from. So eventually I go back to the washing machine and, well, I got the whole thing and just moved it out of the way like this. And having moved it out of the way, sure enough, there was the deadest, smelliest mouse you have ever seen. I mean, this mouse was so dead that it was part skeleton, part flesh, but there were maggots all over it. Where there once was an eye socket, now there was just a maggot coming out of that spot. And the whole thing was like just moving on the ground almost. It was like this wriggling, writhing, maggoty mess. If you can just imagine this wriggling, writhing, maggoty mess. That's what I looked at. And uh, I'm terrible at times like that. I mean, instantly I start to dry heave. So I'm like, like, this, like that. And uh, I didn't quite know what to do. And then... God gave me a word of wisdom. I called over my oldest son, Joel. <laughs> and I said, Joel, I'll give you $2 if you get rid of that thing. And it was gone just like that. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> but you know, sometimes we just have to come to grips with the fact that a season or a period in our life is dead. And if it's dead and you try to hold on to it, Without being disrespectful, you're still living under the smell of it. You're still living under the power of it. And committing to the future means that we're not trying to hold on to something related to the past. But we are determined we're going to move on and move up into God's promise for the future in Jesus' name. Bobby was uh, skiing. Bobby's my wife and we were skiing together uh, a few years ago. She actually skis. I snowboard like most young people do. And, <laughs> and well, the way Bobby tells the story, she, we, we, I guess, accidentally got ourselves up to the top of the steepest slope you've ever seen. I mean, I think here in the U.S. you have, what, green slopes, blue slopes, red slopes, and black slopes, and this was like a double black slope. It was, uh, it was horrific. And so the way Bobby tells the story, my sons and I, we just, we just took off and she's left at the top. And uh, she looked down just absolutely petrified and didn't know what to do. There really was no way back. And a complete stranger just looked at her and says, Ma'am, you have to commit to the mountain. And so she tells the story that she just decided to commit to the mountain. And committing to the mountain... She found her way down to base and we were in trouble. <laughs> Can I encourage you in life? You've got to commit to the mountain. You have to decide that you are not going to try to hold on to whatever it is that's come to an end. There's no life there. If it's over, it's over. Jesus, when he said it was finished, that was over. But he wasn't finished. 
And can I encourage you one more time, whoever you are, whatever the circumstance of your life, something may have come to an end. It's over, but you're not finished. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Believe the best for the future. Start to talk to the future. Commit to the mountain. Commit to the future. And there's no telling what God can do. If you believe it, say amen.